Well, we got the choir singing like that. How about the rest of us? Well done. Thank you, choir. May, you know, we think a lot about why do we gather together as a church, and actually that's kind of the, the point of Philippians is Paul is encouraging this church to keep going. In fact, he'll say, I press on, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And in so doing, let's do that like-minded together, worshiping God corporately. He invites us time and again throughout his word, God does, to be in it together, to carry the burden together that when I talk about something like offerings, I come to us as a body saying we can all share in this load together. Uh, Romans teaches us when one mourns, we all weep with them. When one is full of joy, we are full of joy with them. It's this wonderful gift of the family of God that we who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and have been adopted in and called home to his family we are together adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we are family. Now, here's the thing. You can't trade your family. There's lots of people that love church hopping, and that's fine. But when they church hop, when they jump around and go to this church because for right now they like this one, and for right now they like this one, they're missing out on one of the key aspects of being a church growing together to be like Christ. It means we work through differences together. It means we are called to be like-minded as we talked about last week. And it's an invitation into life with people from all nationalities, from all ages, from all walks of life, from all status levels. And so when we think about why do we come together, we should be joyfully praising the Lord because we get to. We get to honor him together with our brothers and sisters of AIC. Isn't that awesome? Okay, a couple of you think that is awesome. Well, I think it is absolutely amazing. And I think it is, I know it is why I love being with my international family here. We turn our attention back this morning to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We were encouraged last week to look at this idea of being like-minded, that we are not to be robotic. We are not all going to think, do, or act the same. And I know you're shocked by that. But that like-mindedness in the body of believers has one compelling call on our lives, that to bring glory to Jesus Christ, that one thing the ladies just talked about. Two the like-mindedness that we discussed brings us to a a point of discipline in our own souls where our will and our actions and our attitude are pointed towards service of God and others for His name's sake. And so we're going to look today at how Paul encourages us to be like-minded. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to come back to this and we're going to look at an example given of what ultimate service really looked like through Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. And I ask that you would open our hearts today as we consider uh, some things that we in the church aren't always finding to be done easily, but yet are such a joyful part of walking together. I pray that we would be a body of believers that are like-minded, going toward your glory and bringing others along in that journey, making disciples of all nations and all neighborhoods. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this bit of time we have together this morning. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... 
if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Those are big words. Well, actually, they're quite small words if you look at most of them. They're monosyllabic for the most part. But it's a big statement. If we are told that we are to be a people of humility, of like-mindedness, united with Christ, we are to consider others better than ourselves. Uh, We're also to consider the interests of others. These are things, let me throw it out there right at the beginning, that are not natural to any person in this room. You know how I know that? Because we are all sinners. I know this isn't the most popular thing I will ever get up and say, but we have all fallen short. If God gave us a target of righteousness right in that back clock, and that's the target, nine times out of ten in our own strength, we're going to be hitting the sound guys in the room. If we even get that close, we might be hitting Amos and Albert up front. Because in our own strength, we miss the mark all the time. The very definition of sin in Greek is missing the mark. God has one mark for our lives and is whole, total, and complete holiness and righteousness. That's it. That is his mark. We are to hit that. But there's a problem. Sin, sinful behavior is not righteous. Sinful behavior does not exalt God and does not exalt others above ourselves. In fact, it breaks that bond. It breaks relationships. If I asked you to raise your hands, most of you could probably say you have been hurt by other Christians, right? At one point or another. I'm not trying to dig up old wounds, but I've seen it often enough in churches that we can hurt one another. And that's what Paul is dealing with when he's writing to the church in Philippi. He's trying to protect us. He's trying to protect the church and saying, if you want to be like-minded, if you want to hit the mark, you're not going to do it in your own strength. You're going to fail. So I'm going to give you some benchmarks of what it can look like to be like-minded, to be going toward the glory of God. Because here's the thing. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ, you are already righteous. Because the righteousness of God was given to you through the blood and body of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We have been washed by the blood. We are clean. Our standing before God is pure and spotless because of Jesus, not because of your awesomeness. And we are sleepy this morning. That should get us excited to think that just for a moment... We ponder every day that because of who Jesus is and what he has done, I can stand before God and say, I'm yours and I am part of your family, adopted as a son of you, the most high God. I'm in. That is amazing. And that is a gift and we can't hit it on our own. But as we learn to look at the past... In all the ways, a guy named Kulyan Chivijan, the one that gave us the, the wonderful phrase that I like a lot, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He says, we have got to have the Old Testament. We've got to have the law. And by the way, find him on Right Now Media. If you haven't joined Right Now Media, there's way better preachers than me on there. 
Watch them and listen to them. It's great. I love it. Again, we're sleepy today. But it is worth enrolling. Get on our website and find out about Right Now Media. It's excellent. But Tully and Chavidjan says one of the purposes of the law, the Old Testament, and what we've learned in it is it reminds us of our fallenness before God, that we cannot save ourselves. One of the greatness, the greatest thing of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it reminds us that we are a new creation in him. We have been saved, we have been set free, and we are bought with a price that was not paid by ourselves. And so when we come in and we look around this room and we think about each other or we think about the church as a whole because maybe we in this church haven't hurt one another but other Christians have or we're disappointed in this thing or we're disappointed in these politics or whatever. Well, how do we move on from that? Well, the first thing Paul encourages is that idea of like-mindedness. But as I said already, it's not normal. It's, it's more like this. Sorry, we'll skip that. This is a a, a new car. And on March 22nd, this wonderful little Audi, sponsored by a company named Delphi, is going to drive across America, the United States. It's a pretty wide country, not as wide as China, but it's quite wide. This country is going to start on March 22nd and drive all the way across. Not a big deal, right? Just one thing. Not going to be a driver in it. It's going to be self-driven. It's going to go across the United States being driven by itself. Now, I suspect there will be a person in it just in case it decides to go all robotic on us and try to take over the world and be a Terminator. So it's going to protect us from that. But the thing is, it's a self-driving car. What happens inside and outside the Church of Jesus Christ today is that we begin to think that we are to be self-driving people. We begin to get back in that habit of being self-minded people. We're thinking about how can this get me up to whatever cause I want to fight for. That's more important than everything else because it's about me and it's what I know. And we begin to get in our little holes and our little thing and anybody that doesn't fall into those categories is automatically wrong in our enemy. And I know you sit there and say, well, Mike, that doesn't happen to me. And I say, well, if we asked you enough questions, you could probably think of something that does. Because on our own... We try to do it for ourselves. And Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the very good news of Jesus Christ, that is worthy of the fact that Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us, for the glory of God the Father. He did that. And he's inviting us to say, don't be self-minded. Let the very person of Jesus Christ wash over you and transform you by the renewing of your mind. Because when our minds are renewed and our hearts are softened, we begin to naturally change perspective at how we look at life. And that's what Paul says when he goes on. He says, I want you to consider a heavenly perspective. If you have any encouragement from what? From being united with Christ. Now, when Christ tells us to talk to God, as we started with this morning, he says, Our Father, who art in heaven, right away. Now, not that God isn't everywhere. This is Jesus helping us try to grasp how great and powerful and mighty God is. He is omnipresent. He can be everywhere, and he is. Don't misunderstand this. But a heavenly perspective is a godly perspective. 
It is one that says, Lord, I want your agenda through Jesus Christ to compel me to everything I do. I want your will for every area of my life because I am united with Christ, bought by the blood of him, and I am going to walk through life together, and I am going to be comforted not by the love that this world can bring, but by Christ's love. I am not going to just enjoy selfish fellowship that talks about the weather and my favorite sports team and how my retirement fund is. I'm going to enjoy relationship and fellowship with the most high triune God and then bring others into that that gets down to the heart of what's real. You know, sometimes ladies, my wife, says, Mike, I don't want you to just ask me how was my day. I want you to really listen and care about all that I'm thinking and feeling. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. But yet when we want that, we want that from others. We long for people to know us, to listen actively to us and take an active involvement in our lives. But we go looking for that in all sorts of places. We go looking for counselors that tell us what we want to hear. There's nothing wrong with counselors. Don't misunderstand me. But we, if we look to them before we look to God, we've misplaced our identity. We've placed our identity in the hands of ourselves and said, I got to fix me when God is right here saying, enjoy fellowship with me through the Holy Spirit, invited into dance with the Trinity, with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will supply all of your needs because your perspective will be so much greater than you knew was even possible. Heavenly perspective, seeing the world through the eyes of God. Because when God looked down at earth, He created us and he said it was good. We sinned and he looked at us with love and he put into place a plan for our redemption and salvation. Is that not amazing? When I look at people that have failed, I look at them and my natural tendency is to look at them and think, well, that was stupid. You should have known better. God may have said that to himself, but then he put into plan a motion to save us from ourselves. So whose perspective do I want? The guy that's going to look at people and say, ha ha you messed up again stupid kid or whoever you are or do I want the God that looks down with us with tenderness and compassion and made a way for us to be forgiven and then how does that gauge how I see other people I don't know if any of you noticed the morning this morning most of you depending on where you were couldn't see very far in front of you could you we were pretty fogged in right Isn't that an interesting metaphor on how we walk through life, dealing with whatever is right in front of us? How often do you go to meetings? Do you deal with relationships where people don't see a big picture? They only see what's right here and they can't see all the other things going into the the puzzle that make up the whole of whatever you're dealing with. Has that ever happened to you? Some of you have had that where you just wish they would understand there's more. But yet then it gets to us and it's like, you don't understand me. This is about me. (laughs) And God says, wait a minute. You don't understand just how wide open this world is for my glory because you can't see past what's right in front of you. And he invites us to let him roll the fog out of our lives, being united with Christ, comforted by love, enjoying fellowship with the Holy Spirit, seeing 
the world with a perspective of love and tenderness from God our Father. The fog rolls away and we don't see the world through trying to gain the upper hand. We see the world through love, through tenderness, through compassion, and through fellowship. Because that's how God made us. That's what he invites us to. And he says, follow me. Let me show you how to see the world. A budget deficit is nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen? Amen. So he says, if we're going to do that, if we're going to take this heavenly perspective of being united with Christ, of comforting, being comforted by his love, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we are called to not be so worried. Now, again, ladies, you heard all about this yesterday, so I'm not going to preach it again. But that heavenly perspective comes down to one thing, the good news of Jesus Christ. Always. People ask me, uh, my tennis team asked me a couple weeks ago, I said, I love talking to people about marriage. And they said, what, do you try to avoid divorce? And I said, no, I try to invite them to listen to Jesus. Because Jesus is always the right answer. Because of how he lived his life, he invites us to follow his example, calling us a servant as he first served us. Jesus The Most High God did not consider equality with God something to grasp, but took on the form of a servant and served a world that hated him, that beat him up, that broke him, and that hung him on a cross. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. So when you look at somebody, when you look at a brother or sister in the church, knowing that they've hurt you and you dare tell another brother or sister that we can't forgive because it hurts too much, I dare you to tell that to God. I know it's harsh, but it's true because Jesus Christ gave his very life that we might be forgiven. So there is nothing we can do to one another that compares to the fact that our sins crucified him. I have read the stories of someone like a Corey Ten Boom who Nazi soldiers killed her family and years later she looked on them with forgiveness and could say, I forgive you. If she could do it, knowing the love of Christ compels her, it is the one thing in life that matters. Can't we take that perspective with one another, with those hard relationships at work, with those hard relationships at home, with those hard relationships fill in the blank? Can't we think back to Luke 10 and say, Lord, I am worried about and distracted by so many things. I have made life about earning your salvation rather than basking in the fellowship and love of knowing you. If we would do that, if we would pray every day, Lord, help me see the world through your eyes and respond accordingly, then it would be very natural for us to practice humility one with another. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Humility in the Greek Greek context was always about status. If you were Roman, you were at the top of the food chain. If you were a Hebrew, you were pretty low on the food chain. If you did certain jobs, 
You were very low on the food chain. It was all about which status you found yourselves in. And humility in that original definition meant that we were never trying or that they would never try to get ahead of where their assigned status was in life. You with me? In other words, if I was a... Trying to choose my words carefully and I forget what I wrote down in my transcript. But if I was a car mechanic, I was not going to try to become a politician. Okay? I was not going to try to self-elevate myself. Humility meant that. But in the eyes of the gospel, it meant so much more. It meant value. Because humility, as Paul describes it, and as we see in the person of Jesus Christ and in the love of God throughout, meant that we humans are going to look to bring glory to God in every moment of life. That the ultimate humility we can give is to say, God, here's my life. I'm nothing apart from knowing you. I'm nothing without you. Because Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And he said, I do this not so that we might be saved. That was secondary. The primary was that God might be glorified. You want to talk about humility? It always starts with glory, just not our own. It starts with the glory of God. How can I glorify God in my treatment of you? How can you glorify God in your treatment of your wife, of your husband, of the person you disagree with on whatever issue that may be? How can I talk to, talk, let's say, most divisive thing right now, pretty much anywhere in the world, because everybody's complaining? Politics. Which way is the best way to run a country? Jesus, by the way. I know that's simplistic and I'm not going to get into that. But we love talking about politics. But have you ever heard people that almost it looks like they're going to lose a friend because they're arguing so vociferously over politics? What if in the shape of that we're arguing and we believe that it is this way, this way, this guy's wrong, this person's right, yada, yada, yada. And I said, how can I bring glory to God while still sharing my feelings and my views in a way that's honoring to God and man? What if when we dealt with difficult things and difficult relationships in the church, we did the same? we considered the other person and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about not trying to win, rather pointing them to Jesus. There's the difference. The marriage course is coming up this Wednesday. Love the marriage course. This is our third time through it, I believe. And it's always a joy to do it because we get to invite people to listen to one another. You've got the napkin and you hold the napkin. Whoever holds the napkin, they're the talker. If you're not holding the napkin, shut up and listen and show your spouse that you value what they have to say. In the same way, in the body of believers of Jesus, we are invited to give them the napkin and say, I value you. I might not agree with you, but I'm going to listen and we're going to grow together to become more like Jesus Christ. And we're going to do it empowered by the Holy Spirit because we can't fix each other. We need Him. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't tell us to figure it out on our own. He never once says, you figure this out. He says, 
I want to help you and I want to guide you. And I gave you a whole body of believers to help. And together you can seek me. We're seeking him to provide for all our needs financially, but much more. I'm seeking for him to revive our hearts, to bring us to a point of tenderness toward one another the way Jesus loved the least of these. It reminds me of a story I read not so long ago. Okay, a long time ago, 1847. Sir James Simpson discovered that chloroform could be used as an antiseptic to render people insensible to the pain of surgery. Yay for chloroform. I've had enough surgical procedures over the years that, well, I know, I think they've moved on. I'm not sure that's the common anesthetic today. But whatever it is, praise God for anesthesia, right? I am so thankful that when they start cutting me, I'm happy as a cut, uh, happy as whatever. High as a kite was what I was trying to say, but that didn't feel very appropriate, so I said it anyway. But Dr. Simpson, back in 1847, made it possible for people to go through the most dangerous operations without fear of pain and suffering. Isn't that amazing? What a medical breakthrough over 100 and some years later. But years later, he was lecturing at the University of Edinburgh, Dr. Simpson was asked by one of his students, what do you consider the most valuable discovery of your lifetime? To the surprise of his students who'd expected him to refer to chloroform, I mean, if I invent a thing that completely changes the medical field for all humanity, I'd be pretty proud of it. But he says, my most valuable discovery was when I discovered myself a sinner and that Jesus Christ was my savior. Nothing was more valuable than knowing him. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He also wrote, is our theme for our annual general meeting Sunday in a couple weeks. We are compelled. The love of Christ compels us. The one thing is the one person, Jesus Christ. And he encourages us to consider others better than ourselves not to do it out of selfish ambition, not to get promoted to the next thing. If God wants to promote you, he will. He's, he's got your reputation cared for, okay? If you are following his ways, you will suffer. People won't understand why you make the decisions you make sometimes that are choosing love over money or power or success or status. But God will always protect you. He will never give you more than you can handle. But he says, don't do it selfishly. Don't go after your own crown. Go after the glory of God. Or vain conceit. Don't look around to say, look at how holy I am and how much of a failure you are. Avoid those things and instead, out of humility, consider others better than ourselves. Because with heavenly perspective and humility, we can honor people. Asia has taught me much about honor that, that my home culture might struggle with because I, I, I'm part of a very individualized society. We, we tend to love the, the one guy that self-sustaining, self-success and all those things. But this concept of honor, when we honor our elders, when we honor our children, uh, is, is such a wonderful thing, but it's a biblical thing that sometimes in the church we've missed. Because what happens in churches 
And again, I want to be gentle in how I say it, but no less accurate. We get all fired up over whatever ism we think is the big thing right now. Or whatever, um, for instance, some of you uh, might love a guy named Jacob Arminius, okay? Arminianism talks about, uh, one of the tenets they say is the doctrine of free will, okay? That's great, excellent, fully supported. The other side might say, well, I I like John Calvin, who says uh, unconditional election. Okay, great. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about both. But then we get all these fights going because you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong. And out of it, somehow we've lost the person of Jesus Christ because we're too busy fighting about something that God has left for us and said, I know who you are. I know what you're going to do. And yet I've also given you the choice to follow me. I don't know how to explain that exactly. Those men that I just described are much smarter than I am and have written thousands and thousands more pages than I ever will, and I'm okay with that. But my own personal study should not affect how I can see you with love and with compassion and with honor because you were made in the very image of God. And as his creation, who is fearfully and wonderfully made, you have intrinsic and eternal value. And who am I to deplete you of any of that value by my behavior, my attitude, and my actions? Instead, I should be going out of my way. We, after we cut this carpet, I took some of it home. And my kids, when I get home from work a couple of days this week, they rolled out the red carpet for me. And it was great because I felt so valued and honored because my kids were happy. I was home so happy that it was like I was at the Oscars. And I was walking in, yeah, look at me. I felt honored. When we sit down with somebody over a cup of coffee, can we look at them and look at their interests? Maybe you don't care about the rugby sevens happening in a couple weeks, but I sure do. And I would love to tell you about how excited I am to go. But if you don't care, that's okay. Let's talk about cricket. Who cares? Sorry. See, that's not me being honored. But you get the idea. This very concept of honor. Or uh, in, in traditional society, when we bow, it was to show deference, to show honor to the person we're in front of, right? Or if I were to give you a business card. I don't have one on me. How should I give you a business card here? Should I just just hand it out? Here you go, Louise. That is not honoring to Louise at all, is it? No. It is an honor to give you my business card. It is an honor to walk through life with you, my AIC family. And I I not only want to be honored by you, I want you to know how valuable you are to God, but that he wants to continue to refine you to be more like Jesus Christ. I want my relationships and my conversations to be so full of the love of Christ that you feel valued not by Mike, but by our God and our King. When Paul teaches us to look not only to our own interests, he invites us to a place of honoring others' perspective and as we do, letting them see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Is it easy? Not always. 
There are times, there are people that will push your buttons. They will push my buttons. And the last thing you want to do is show them how valuable you are. Well, actually, you do want to show them how much value they have to you. Little. You want to make sure they know they're worthless. You might not say that, but you know it's deep in your heart. And the good news of Jesus Christ said, God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he gave himself as a servant so that we might not only be washed by his blood, but we might know how to live in service to one another, in service to the world around us, that we don't get so caught up in a cause that we miss the person in that relationship because we are all about one cause, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the cause we are always going to be fighting for. In the world that we live in, he is the answer to the question of, what on earth am I here for? And we've got to seek him. The other causes, let the love of Christ compel us to deal with them together in humility and in honor of one another the way Christ honored us. May our posture as we look at one another be the same as that of Christ Jesus. May we be able to say those words, Lord, my life is yours. And I want others to know that you're transforming me and that they have great value. And I'm going to seek to please you in how I treat other people. I know, I know, inevitably, some of you think right now, Mike, you don't understand my situation. They did this, this, and this. And I want you to know, I don't understand. And and I probably won't. But I also know that you won't understand everything I go through. But what I do know is that we can walk together in humility and honor as we look toward a heavenly perspective that lays out the carpet and says, let me handle your reputation. You follow me and you make the righteous choice in life, one that brings glory to God through your humility and through your honoring of one another above yourself. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word that gives us the key to how we solve our problems. It is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would honor one another above ourselves, that we would look to your interests first. And I ask, Lord, that we would be brought out of the fog of only seeing what's right in front of us and instead step into the glorious light that is yours and that we would see others through the value you have given them that of being made in your very likeness. We love you, Lord.